0: good morning as you can tell I am NOT Brian Persley. <laughs> pastor Brian is taking a well-deserved break for a couple weeks but for those of you who may not know me I'm John cross one of the members here at Lakeside in some ways Brian and I are very similar whenever we speak we always start with a story Brian is a great storyteller In fact, maybe you are like me. Sometimes when I leave on Sunday morning, I feel guilty because I remember more about the story than I remember about the message. (laughs) Don't worry, I won't ask for a show of hands of those of you who may have that same feeling. But I want to tell you that you and I don't have to feel guilty about that. Jesus told stories, he told them so that his listeners would remember what he was teaching. Brian tells stories so that we remember the major points that he's making in his messages and reinforce what he is communicating to all of us. They help us remember and identify with what he is saying. But there are other areas where Brian and I are very different. Obviously, he is younger, taller, and narrower. (laughs) He is an unrepentant Browns fan. I am thankful I was born a Packers fan. He keeps his notes on an iPad. I'm still old fashioned enough that I like paper. But more importantly, I loved high school geometry. On at least two occasions over the past several weeks, Brian has shared his intense dislike of geometry. And how he bent a few rules even when he was in high school to make it through the class. He's even admitted to us that even still today, He doesn't understand the difference of a radius, a diameter, a circumference, and he certainly doesn't understand that pi to six digits is (laughs) 3.1459. We are different. I loved geometry and have fond memories of the class even though it was nearly 60 years ago that I took geometry as a high school sophomore. My teacher was Mr. Ron Van Wy. If you think about it for a moment, you can imagine what that class must have been like. Anytime one of my fellow classmates didn't understand something, they would raise their hand and ask, Mr. Van Wy, why? And then the rest of the class, myself included, would break out with the chorus. Why, Mr. Van, why, why? He took it in good stride. And often, rather than telling or going through a geometric proof, he would tell a story to answer those questions. He too was a great storyteller. I remember once when he was talking about the fact that two parallel lines never intersect with each other. Someone raised their hand and asked Mr. Van, why, why? And the rest of us chimed in with, why, Mr. Van, why? Why? He didn't go through a lengthy geometric proof, but rather simply said, because if two parallel lines did touch each other, cars would run into each other on the highway. He made his point with a quick story. And 57 years later, I still remember it. I remember another time at the end of the school year when he started to talk about curves. Everything up to then had been about points and lines. Someone asked in the class, Mr. Van Wye, what a parabola was. His answer was that a parabola is one of the most important types of all curves. And you can imagine that another hand went up and one of my friends said, Mr. Van Wy, why? And we all chimed in again, why Mr. Van Wy? why? He didn't attempt to explain the principle that the angle of incidence is equal to the angle of reflection. But he simply compared a parabolic mirror to a flat mirror. And then he said, Without parabolas, we wouldn't be able to see the distant stars or listen to a quarterback calling signals at a football game. A flat mirror reflects back everything on itself. A parabolic mirror captures a large amount of light and focuses it on a single point. Today, we see parabolas everywhere. I actually brought one in with me this morning. And no, I didn't go out and cut the cable to my neighbor's DISH TV antenna to to bring it in. A DISH TV antenna that we see in many homes is a parabola that collects those distant sounds or distant electric signals or signals from a distant satellite and focuses them down on that one single point that magnifies them, and we receive that signal. A signal that is strong enough for the receiver to process. How does that work? This is a chart that you will never see from a speaker like Brian Persley. <laughs> All the light waves, sound waves, radio waves, reflect off of that curve and focus down to one single point, the focal point where they can be processed and understood. Brian and Mr. Van Wy were great storytellers, but Jesus was an exceptional storyteller. Throughout his ministry, he told many, many stories. Some of those stories are recorded in the first three books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Probably there were roughly 37 of them. Some are recorded in only one of those books. Some are recorded in all three. Matthew and Luke record the most. Many of these stories are clearly identified as parables and for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at several of the parables of Jesus. But just what exactly is a parable? A parable is a parabolic story. A story where Jesus takes different thoughts and ideas and using a parabolic story focuses them down to one single point. Whenever we read or hear a parable, one of the ones that Jesus shared with us, the question we should always ask ourselves is what is the point that Jesus is making? Not 10 points, not five points, not two points, but what is that one single point, that single idea that Jesus is focusing in on? You might also ask the question, why did Jesus speak in parables? That's a question that Jesus himself answered in Matthew 13. Matthew records that the disciples came to Jesus and asked him a question not unlike the question we always used to ask Mr. Van Wy. From Matthew 13, starting in verse 10, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. That is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Jesus' answer is very interesting. He tells the disciples that they have been given the ability to hear and to understand the point of the parable. But to others... Others, like the Jewish leaders, the skeptics, those who did not recognize Jesus as the Son of God, will they hear, but they don't understand. After making this statement, Jesus quotes something that the prophet Isaiah had said 750 years before about how the people of his day and the people of the day when the Messiah would arrive people whose spiritual sensitivity had grown dull couldn't comprehend or receive the message they were hearing. Jesus' quote of Isaiah was, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. It's not that Jesus doesn't want them to understand the point of the parable, but they have lost the ability to understand the point of the parable. Let's go back to our friend the parabola for a moment. Remember how the dish antenna caught all of those weak satellite signals and reflected them back up to that single point? The disciples and those who recognized who Jesus really was, the Son of God, the Messiah, were right there at that point where all of those signals came together. The Jewish leaders, the skeptics, those who were just curious, weren't at that same place. They weren't focused on Jesus. They weren't located at that single focal point. And what happens when you aren't at the focal point? We've all seen it. The signal gets weak and out of focus. You lose your sound, your picture starts to pixelate your screen freezes and you can't understand what you are seeing and what you're hearing. That is the way Jesus is saying it is with a parable. Those who are close to him, believe in him, will understand the point he is making. For them, it is clear and in focus. The ones who are not close to him, they can't get the point of the parable. In a sense, this was a protection mechanism for Jesus. He used parables to communicate memorable truth to his followers. Had he said it plainly to all who were present, it would at a minimum have initiated a meaningless debate with the Jewish leaders that would have clouded Jesus' intended message, or at most enraged the Jewish leaders if they fully understood it. But the bottom line is that Jesus used parables as a teaching tool. He didn't train his disciples and followers by convening a class. He didn't provide them with an agenda, a syllabus, or an outline. He didn't say, today we're going to study the seventh chapter of Leviticus, or the 15th chapter of some textbook on systematic theology. Jesus taught them spontaneously within the context of their daily experiences. And when something happened or when one of his followers made a comment, he used it as a teaching opportunity by sharing with them a story. Sometimes a story with a bit of a shock factor to get their attention. A story with a point, a parabolic story, a parable. One such parable is recorded at the beginning of Matthew 20. It is often mistakenly referred to as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. We we will see that it should really be titled the parable of the generous employer. But the events surrounding Jesus telling that parable, the context, actually start back in chapter 19. Allow me to set the stage. Jesus was traveling through Judea, and as he traveled, he healed many people who came to him. As would be expected, a large crowd started to follow him. Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, tried to corner him with tricky theological questions so they could discredit him. Jesus skillfully negotiated those questions. The crowd had become so great that when some parents brought their children to Jesus for him to pray over them, the disciples acted like a security squad and pushed them back. But Jesus said, bring the little children to me, and he blessed them. Then a young man came up to Jesus. It was clear that he was rich. So instead of sending him away like they tried to do with the children, the disciples let him approach Jesus and asked Jesus a question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus drew him out and asked him, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good, and he has already given you the commandments to follow. The young man took the bait and asked, which ones? Jesus then listed five of the 10 commandments, the ones that deal with interpersonal relationships. Jesus wasn't picking five over the other five, but really referring to all 10. The young man, after Jesus said that, made one of the most telling statements in the Bible. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. In effect, Jesus said to him, If you want treasure in heaven, your definition of eternal life, then sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come follow me and you will experience what eternal life really is. The rich young man turned and left in sorrow because he couldn't pay the price to be perfect. After he left, Jesus said to his disciples that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This threw the disciples into a tizzy. If it's that hard, who then can be saved, they asked him. Who can do what is necessary to gain eternal life? Jesus answered that question by clearly telling them, That for a person acting on their own, it is absolutely impossible to gain eternal life. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus is telling his disciples it's not what they do or have done, but that eternal life is all about what God is going to do. Looking back on this, we understand what Jesus was saying. He was saying that none of us can earn our way into heaven by doing everything right because none of us can do everything right and that only God through the sacrifice of his son can invite us to spend eternity with him. But our hindsight is better than the disciples' foresight. The disciples didn't get it. They probably all remained quiet pondering what Jesus said, all of them except one, good old Peter, the most impulsive of all the disciples. He often said what everyone else was thinking before he thought about it himself. Peter was still stuck back on Jesus's earlier comment about selling everything and giving it to the poor So he blurted out, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter, in essence, asked, What's in it for me? He didn't get what Jesus had just said. So Jesus looked at all of his disciples. He knew that Peter was only expressing what they were all thinking. And he basically said, you guys are going to be with me in a new world. And just like you're close to me now, you'll be close to me there. When I sit on my throne, you'll be sitting next to me, acting as the judges of the 12 tribes of Israel. The return on your investment will be far greater than you can ever imagine. But most importantly, you'll inherit eternal life and be with me forever. But then Jesus adds an interesting phrase, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And after Jesus made that comment, he knew that the disciples in general, and Peter in specific, still did not get it. They didn't get that eternal life is a free gift offered equally to all that isn't based on how much you do or how long you've done it, but based on what Jesus did and will soon do. So Jesus decided to tell them a parable, a parabolic story, a story with a point. That parable is found in the first 16 verses of Matthew 20. If you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to look at it as as we read through it. If you have a Bible with you, and I'm still a paper guy, remember, you're free to turn to it in the Bible. The words will also be on the screen. But before I start, just a background note. In the parable, Jesus uses the term denarius. A denarius was the minimum wage that would have been paid to a day laborer. The minimum wage in Wisconsin is $7.25 per hour. So with overtime, this would probably be about $100 today in today's money. I'm beginning reading with verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And then going out at about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to those of us who have borne the burden of the day, and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, "Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give you, give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity?" so that the last will be first and the first last. Before I say anything else about this parable, I'd like everyone in this section over here to stand up. I'm serious, up. After the service is over and Derek dismisses you, there are going to be cookies, really good cookies out in the lobby and I want you to have one. In fact, these cookies are so good that I've bought over 17,000 of them over the last 10 years and given them away. Costco loves me for that, believe me. But that's another story for another day. But back to the parable. Jesus shocked Peter and his disciples with this parable. What was probably their first reaction? What was your first reaction? Do you think this was fair? These workers worked 12 hours. Other workers worked nine, some worked six, some worked three, and some only worked one hour. And they all got paid the same? How many of you really think that was fair? If you were one of the workers who had worked 12 hours, would you have been grumbling? I know I would have been. And now I'd like everyone over here in this section to stand up. I appreciate you standing up and you will also get a cookie and they're great. Some interpreters of this parable attempt to assign identities to each of the groups of workers. The first group of hires are the patriarchs of Abraham's time with the subsequent groups being the Jews throughout history up to the time of Jesus, culminating with the last group, the Gentiles, us, being the group hired in the 11th hour, who really weren't the long-term people of God. And then there are some today who have interpreted this parable in other ways. Some claim that this parable proves that Jesus was a capitalist. He has the right to pay his employees whatever he wants to pay his employees. There are others who claim this proves Jesus is a socialist. Everyone got paid the same, no matter how long they worked or how hard they worked. Some would say this points to Jesus being a liberal. Some would say it points to Jesus being a conservative. Don't worry, I'm not going down the political party path here at all. Some would argue that this indicates Jesus would support a minimum wage law. Others, legislation dealing with equal pay for equal work. All of those individuals miss the focal point of this parable. They are basing their understanding of this parable on their own preconceptions, opinions, and biases. They aren't at the location, the focal point, where the message is clear. They're off to one side or the other. For them, Jesus's message has gotten weak. The picture is pixelating. The screen is freezing. The image is out of focus. Jesus isn't a capitalist or a socialist. He isn't a liberal or a conservative. He isn't advocating for one piece of legislation or another. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Mighty God, our Savior, and our Lord. And now I'd like to ask everyone in the middle to stand up. (laughs) You too will get a cookie. (laughs) Jesus isn't instructing Peter and the disciples about business or history or economics. He's teaching them about themselves and about him. How does Jesus respond to the grumbling? Why do you begrudge my generosity? This parable isn't about the workers in the vineyard. This parable is about the generosity of the owner of the vineyard. This parable is about Jesus. Jesus is the owner of the vineyard, the employer of the workers. The point that Jesus is making to Peter is that Peter eternal life is not about you about how much you gave up to follow me about how long you've been with me eternal life is about me jesus what i am going to do and what i'm going to generously give to you and everyone else who follows me jesus's point is simple It's not about you, it's about me. You folks in the middle can now sit down. Thank you for standing there for a couple of minutes. When Derek dismisses us, I want you to go out and get your cookie. This is not the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It is the parable of the generous employer. And I want to thank you for standing for the last few minutes. I really appreciate it. I know it's a little hard to stand occasionally and concentrate on on what is being said, but you really helped out to the point that Jesus is making. You too will be able to get your cookie. Don't worry. Have a seat. And then Jesus closes the parable with the same phrase he used when he was talking to Peter and his other disciples, a phrase that sometimes we use in our normal conversations. The last will be first, and the first will be last. And then there are those who have been standing the longest. Your legs getting a little tired? You getting a little antsy? You guys ready to sit down? Okay. Please have a seat. And you too will get a cookie when Derek dismisses you to all go in the other room. Now I imagine there's one of you at least that is saying to yourself, Well, do we get to get me dismissed first? We stood the longest. Shouldn't we be able to go out and get the cookie before everybody else? Sorry, that's not the way it works. (laughs) Maybe you wanna ask why? Why John, why? why? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is simple. The first will be last, and the last will be first. No one is getting a cookie because you stood up. Just like no one can earn eternal life. You're getting a cookie because I am generous and I keep my word. You didn't earn it, you are being given it. We have eternal life because Jesus the owner of the vineyard is generous and keeps his word. Getting a cookie is about you. That's the natural way to look at it. But getting a cookie is not about you, it's about me. Eternal life is not about us, it's all about Jesus. Did Peter get Jesus's point? Did he realize that Jesus told this parable, that it wasn't about him, but that it was about Jesus? Peter was at the focal point. Peter understood, he really did. Three weeks ago, Brian walked us through the first chapter of the book of Second Peter. And he talked about verse one, which addresses to whom this book was written. In that first verse, Peter addresses his recipients as those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. They were new believers. They hadn't given up everything to travel with Jesus for three years. They didn't know Jesus personally, but they followed him now. Peter doesn't say they get a smaller paycheck or that they are in the back of the line for a cookie. They are all of equal standing. Peter got it, it's not about me, it's all about him. Let me ask us a question this morning. Let me ask myself a question this morning. Do you get it? Do I get it? Do I really understand that eternal life is not about me, but about Jesus? Am I at the focal point of this parable in my relationship with Jesus where I understand that fact clearly and I live it every day? That is my prayer for each of us, that we would. I have an assignment for you this week. When you get up in the morning and go into the bathroom and look yourself in the mirror, a flat bathroom mirror, not a parabolic mirror, I want you to repeat seven words out loud. Seven words that are easy to remember. It's not about me, it's about him. It's not about me, it's about him. And just to make sure you know it well, I'd want you to repeat it with me right now, just one time. It's not about me, it's about him. That is the point of the parable of the generous employer, our employer. It's not about me, it's about him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for how Jesus taught us. Thank you for the message that he is giving us. Thank you that he makes it clear that it's not about us, but it's about him, the generous employer. Father, help each one of us to live that in the reality of our lives. In your name, amen.